This fireside chat is with Mark Miller and Dean Tribble from Agoric on the Agoric approach to computing. It's the recording of a recent in-person meetup at their house that was part of the Intelligent Corporation Group. Agoric is a proof-of-stake chain that utilizes secure JavaScript smart contracts to rapidly build and deploy DeFi. Thanks, Agoric, for sponsoring this conversation. Mark Miller is a Fawcett Honorary Fellow in Computing, and he's the chair of our Intelligent Corporation Group, which is aimed at leveraging computer science, cryptography, and AI for improving voluntary cooperation across human and AI intelligences. Mark is a computer scientist. He was ex-Google, now Agoric, and the co-author of the infamous Agoric papers from 1988, laying out the vision for a decentralized marketplace that spans human and AI entities. Dean is the CEO of Agoric that is working toward a world of a multiplicity of blockchains powered by computer security. Mark, Dean, and I discussed their collaborations on crypto commerce technology long before blockchain was a thing, human and AI cooperation, virtues for designing well-working blockchain-based market ecosystems, such as security, composability, and interoperability, and how people can start engaging in this world today. You can find a written seminar summary, slides, and video on our website in the Intelligent Corporation Group. You can apply to join these groups virtually, you can donate, or you can join our Vision Weekend, our annual in-person member gathering across San Francisco and France. If you enjoy this podcast, please give us a good rating, tell your friends, and support us on Patreon. Thank you so much. Enjoy. Well, I guess it's fair to say that you've been working on smart contracts and crypto commerce much long before <laughs> blockchain was even a thing, right? So maybe you just pick us up uh, with the history. Like, how have you started uh, to work on this uh, collaboratively? And like, how did uh, Agori came to fruition through your really early work? I don't think we have enough time to go all the way back to <laughs> Mark, <is> like, <laughs> Mark smuggling the RSA algorithms out. To... <laughs> but um, so <laughs> I've, I've, I've gone public with that. Wait, I waited 40 years. Oh, you did it. No, no. I, I waited 40 years, but I went public with that story. It's in the Reason Cypherpunk documentary, and it's in my Epicenter interview. I don't need to go into it. That's right. That's right. Actually, the of course. course. That's why I waited 40 years. <laughs> I don't know that there's actually a statute of limitations for that kind of thing, but I just figured nobody's going to nobody no come after me. So, okay. so Markham and I met at Xerox Park doing research in large-scale distributed system programming language for secure distributed systems. And that was a lot of the, you know, precursor ideas. We then met Norm Hardy, who who you know, brought in how to actually think about security um, and sort of together, you know, the three of us and a few others took Norm's operating system ideas into how to do it in a programming language. And that's been a theme kind of going uh, forward for, you know, well, now literally decades. But out of Park, so I was I was at Park, I was a student. Mark was involved in Xanadu, the Hypertex project for, for years before that coming out of Michigan. And Xanadu started up and he brought me the reason why that's important is our sister company, Amix, which Chip ran in uh, uh, engineering for, um, uh, was was doing this funky thing where it was a service that would allow third parties to cooperate, where the relationship was enforced by the service, the brainchild of, of Phil Salen and others. And they were doing it in a way that that, you know, 
ran into stuff that I had learned at Stanford. I was like, no, that's not going to work. You know, and then they tried it and it didn't work for all the reasons I thought it wasn't going to work. And so Randy Farmer and I went through and dug through the contract and redid it a different way. And that, that, that they, was the, the product that they rolled out and it worked. And it was only later that the, the term, uh, smart contract that Nick coined the term, uh, smart contract. Um, and we could point back at Amex and go, yep, that is one. And here's the interesting properties about it. And here's why we should do more of it, you know, and, and we should do more of it for all the reasons that Phil did it in the first place, which is software helping more people to be able to cooperate. My, my simple characterization of that now is, you know, is software helping more strangers to cooperate, right? So if you can get more strangers able to cooperate, you get more, you know, you get more cooperation, you get a more cooperative world. And that was how we sort of got started on some of this. Yeah. I'll say that that was, I'm going to paint that as. Uh, the Amex is one of three threads that came together into the modern sense of smart contracting, uh, modern being um, uh, mid-90s. Uh, uh, so this was all smart, co- smart vision of smart contracting well, well before the invention of blockchain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, at Park, uh, uh, while, while I was at Park and Eric Drexler was at MIT, uh, we co-authored the Agoric Open Systems Papers, uh, those are the papers that the company itself is named after. And uh, those came out in 1988. And they paint a vision of automated, of what we would now project as automated smart contracts. Uh, we did not have the term, but we also didn't have the full vision. Uh, the part that we had was we were going, we were looking at Human institutions. We're very sort of very institutionalist in our view of of of, econ- of of looking at society and economics, uh, and re- and being inspired by them, and realizing that in the com- in the computer system, we can create in a distributed, secure, cryptographic computer fabric um, auctions and derivative instruments, and on and on and on. Uh, we we reconceived a lot of things in terms of market mechanisms like. Uh, uh, doing a processor scheduling by auctioning off the next time slice of the processor, um, uh, which Agoric is now doing something similar on our blockchain. Um, uh, so, so that was a vision of what we would today call permissionless, decentralized, cryptographic um, uh, computing with integrated market incentives. Uh, but all of the smart contracts were there inside computation. They were used by computation for the purpose of organizing computation. Um, uh, 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 Dean already mentioned the Amex uh, thing, which was very much smart contracts dealing with things that are directly significant to humans. Humans engage with the contracts to deal with assets that are significant to other humans and to deal with each other. And then Nick Zabo, uh, he had a lot of contributions but I'll focus on sort of bringing a much deeper cypherpunk. We were, we were all cypherpunks, um, but a much deeper cypherpunk perspective to the foundations of smart contracting. And he kept trying to explain a particular thing to me that I kept not understanding. And then when I finally saw Ethereum years later, it hit me. Oh, that's what Nick was trying to explain to me. Um, uh, so the, the notion of, uh, um, so there's two organizing principles. I don't know how you, 
There's two organizers. I want to inject something here. Okay. Because he was, he was trying to explain those things. I do want to point out that many of those conversations and many of those explanations were in the back offices at the, at the foresight office in, you know, in, in Los Altos. So, so a lot of, you know, just like open source term was coined by Chris, you know, at the board stuff, a lot of this stuff, a lot of these terms came out at, at you know, discussion. Before you moved here. Yeah. Before you moved to, to, to this house. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, big ones. So, so I think it's you know in terms of 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 abstract properties of cooperative systems, which is I think that's important to think about when we project into the future and trying to create good futures in which um, uh, much of the cognition is not human. Is this this ability to to figure out what is um, what are the characteristics of um, Problem-solving uh, architectures that uh, where you can make similar statements across human architectures and across software systems. Um, yeah, I want to say by the time we were at Sun Labs, which is not much later than the Agoric Open Systems papers, um, we had we were definitely talking about it in terms of programs providing services to humans and contracting with other programs to make that absolutely yes, absolutely and, and Nick was already a significant influence on us. Nick Nick actually you, don't you probably remember this worked for us for a time at Agorix yeah um, well first I want to say if you want more info on the whole Amex story and how that may have been spark contracts but also split contracts uh, as a way or like how I think Mark termed it but like as a way to even have some human arbitration in smart contracts then we have a recording on that uh, in the Intelligent Corporation group in there. And then also another really, really good talk is uh, Computer Security is the Future of Law, where you and Nick ha have it out uh, at an expo conference long, long, long time ago. Anyway, there's lots of really good references that we don't need to get into now. <laughs> yes. I think, you know, porting us from the good old days into the uh -huh. current state, yeah. right? So what changed you know, uh, since then? And like, what are the types of technologies that you're currently building? Like from your website, I can tell there's composability, then there's the familiarity with JavaScript, and then there's a big security aspect. So can you tell us a little bit like what's... Actually, can I do one more f thing about the founding? Do it. Do it. Because there was a panel that I'm not sure whether you put it together or Chris put it together on the humility uh, in blockchain. So yeah. the reason why that's important with Zuko and Arthur and so that Zuko was Zuko Wilcox, Arthur Brightman of Tezos, so Zuko of, of Zcash, Arthur Brightman of Tezos, um, Brian Warner who had just finished uh, or participated in the security review of Ethereum, uh -huh. uh, Mark Miller who who he was working at some small company over over the hill, um, and um, uh, and 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 maybe a few others. Well, in particular, I just want to mention uh, Jorge Lopez. Yes, that's right. Uh, the, of gravity. Uh, yeah. yeah, Jorge Lopez. Uh, had a critical part to play in the history here because we had evolved one smart contracting paradigm before blockchain. Then blockchain happened, and I was just puzzled by it because it was such a, it seemed like such a different paradigm. And I kept trying to figure out how does our paradigm and this paradigm, you know, how can we bring the best of both together? Because they're getting so many things wrong, but they have some things that are brilliantly <laughs> right that we never thought of. And, um, and I couldn't figure it out. And then Jorge Lopez was a person involved in the world of blockchain who had read my papers and had a very clear vision of how these things fit together and found me and explained it. And uh, that's really, in some sense, the enabling insight that enabled Agoric to happen. 
and and it's basically that uh, it, they're not competing paradigms for the solving the same problems. They're actually solving problems at a very different level. So our technology uh, simply sits on top of the blockchain technology. We think of blockchains as just credible computers. Uh, and when you look at it in this way, they compose together directly and sort of obviously once you have the insight. Um, uh, so I really want to thank Jorge for the insight. Good. Yeah. And at the time, there had been these giant security breaches. And so the idea of actually having some some approach to security that might solve these problems was really at the top of mind for a lot of people. And so so that panel came together. It happened to come together right in the middle of Tezos's fundraise. So while Arthur Brightman is at the panel talking, the value of his company probably went up by $20 million, right? It was just, it was, just, it was a very, very crazy time. But But the result of that panel was, oh, yeah, there's something here. And so, you know, Markham, Zuko, you know, they brought in others, you know, brought me in. And eventually that's, that, that ended up starting to work. So, so that panel that Foresight helped put on is, is directly responsible for us kind of being here in some important sense. Well, so thanks. So now tell us what are we responsible for? Okay. So what, you know, I'll, I'll skip to what we're doing. So Gorik is building a layer one blockchain. So an independent sovereign blockchain. Um, we are leveraging consensus technology that is built by, you know, sort of the, you know, uh, the original proof of stake chain, which is Cosmos. So we're using Cosmos ecosystems, Tendermint, uh, um, uh, consensus technology, which is nice. It's battle tested. And that's not the part where our big innovations are. So it's great to be working with sort of this extended community. And the real magic here is being able to write smart contracts in a hardened version of JavaScript. So that means, you know, so, so most of people think of, if they, they think about blockchain smart contracts, it's on Ethereum, which has a programming language of, uh, called Solidity, which is okay, but it's one of those things where if you designed a language for people to be able to start doing small examples with, it might look like that. But to do large systems, yeah, there's some security hazards that are kind of insurmountable. You know, that are sort of, using JavaScript already? Like, yeah. How many programmers here and then of you know, how many do JavaScript? I'll go back in time and tell the designers of all the great programming languages of the 60s that in 2021, the most common languages in use would be JavaScript and PHP. <laughs> and let them scream. <laughs> it's not clear that they have surpassed Excel macros yet. <laughs> so it could always be worse. Um, uh, so, so being able to write smart contracts in JavaScript means that instead of there being at best 10,000 programmers that can do this stuff. You know, there's 10 million programmers that can understand this stuff. And, and, and we can approach, you know, programmers that are outside of crypto. And instead of sort of everyone arguing over the same really expensive programmer, um, uh, you know, we can now, we can now make it available to a much, much broader range of people, you know, of, of developers sort of worldwide. If we're going to have a big impact on how people coordinate, on how people do things, you've got to be able to enable many, many more developers to do this independently without having to, 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 um, uh, uh, you know, go to a small priesthood of programmers. Okay. So that's a familiarity. Get it. I like it. And what's the security aspect? Because, you know, <laughs> we do all know that Mark has a very, very big, not vulnerability in terms of securities, but he really, like, what, what is the, like, the big security cell that you also mentioned, you know, sure. it's really what Drew's Zucker and the others in at, at the beginning. Because I think it is something that uh, is currently still undervalued somewhat, uh, yeah. but that will become really, really important so, the longer we want to build security. So, uh, yeah. can I just add one more yeah. thing before you yeah. move on? You're speaking to how much easier it is to hire these programmers, but the whole point of smart contracts is that other people can trust them. 
And so it's extremely valuable that you have the simplest possible program language for other people to be able to inspect and be sure Absolutely. That the smart contract is doing That's right. Yep. So, so, um, uh, so, uh, okay. Wait, 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 hold on a second. There is, uh, so first of all, Greg, you know that we're, we're in the object capability paradigm. So independent of the particular messy deals of the pro, me, messy details of a programming language, there's the, the, the essential question to ask about a secure framework is what is the semantics of the boundary between mutually suspicious entities um, and what the semantics are of the computational primitive within an, ent an entity. Sure. That's just sort of the normal computer science language design uh, instruction set design, whatever um, the semantics of the means by which these entities interact with mutually suspicious entities interact with each other. That's the important thing to get right. And what we've done, which I know Greg is also a fan of, uh, is we have projected the object capability paradigm very cleanly into JavaScript. And I've been on the JavaScript Standards Committee, TC39, uh, since, out there. since 2007, doing this, not thinking I was going to leave Google to form a company to do this, doing this as a representative of Google on the Standards Committee. Uh, we published a paper explaining how engineering JavaScript so that it was good for smart contracts was also making it a better programming language. And every step that we did in evolving the JavaScript standard was sold to the rest of the committee correctly because of its general software engineering benefits. Uh, and, and this paper explains why we should expect supporting smart contracts better to generally lead to better programming language design. Good. Do you feel like you've covered the security angle with that, or have me early touch? Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 I have a couple of very simple, some, you know, characterizations of how of 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 uh, JavaScript and securing it. Right. There's there's several scripting languages like JavaScript, Python, P, you know, PHP, um, you know, other things. JavaScript starts out very malleable. And so a lot of the insecurity, you know, partly it's historical, partly it's you can change what it means to iterate an array. So in addition to iterating the array, you will copy it and send it to another country. Or in addition to printing out some log message at the console, you'll search for the private key file and send it somewhere else, right? That's not great, right? But um, but because of the things that they, that have been deliberately driven into the language, we now have the ability to lock it down. Right. And we, we crossed that threshold. It was like, you know, 2018, we put the company together and we were thinking about all the work we were going to have to do to get stuff into, into the JavaScript standards. And, uh, because of some of the work that, that we were doing with other people in the, in the, uh, in the JavaScript, uh, standards committee, and in, in particular, I think Salesforce, so the guys at Salesforce, yeah. um, that we realized that yeah. all the pieces we needed were there. And so we could actually lock down JavaScript. So now instead of building on quicksand, you're building on concrete. So what it means is now with this lockdown JavaScript, this hardened JavaScript, there's no mutable shared state and there's no ability to change the primordials. You can't change array iteration to do something unexpected. So now suddenly, you know, one JavaScript computation running over here can't share state, can't leak secrets, can't hammer on some other disconnected JavaScript. And that 
that transition, that, that, that is the essence of what we needed to be able to, to apply all of the security learnings from, uh, from Scheme and from Norm Hardy and Kikos and all of those things to do the OCAP model in JavaScript. And we've done that model in multiple programming languages. You know, we did it on top of C++. We did it to Tickle. We did it to Java. We did it to C Sharp. We did it to OCaml. We've done the same kind of approach in all these systems. And it turns out that it's actually easier to do it in JavaScript than in any of the other, in any of those other programming language. It's sort of, you know, crazy on the face of it, but it's 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 sort of an accident of history. And yeah, I think it's what's remarkable about the list is that every single one of them are sequential. And the big game changer is the shift from sequential to concurrent. So um, so uh let me just a, a bit of the history of coming out of um Dean did a programming language called Joule that is as highly concurrent as what you have in mind. It's sort of pi calculus or actor scale, fine-grained concurrency. And that was also a distributed, decentralized object capability language suitable for smart contracts. Uh, and that was the starting point of a lot of this evolution. But the problem is that even very smart programmers who understood Joule's theory very, very well, when it came down to, to write programs, there was too much they had to unlearn. It was it was not teachable. And you take a look at these highly concurrent systems, uh, you know, like the ones based on PyCalculus, I'm sorry, the R-Chain system, and these things have an adoption barrier. Uh, also, uh, other people go to, to things like Haskell and other pure functional programming languages to get the formal properties, but take a look at the adoption, you know, the adoption success that these languages have had in the world. I, I agree with you, but, but I think it's a... The, the real issue here is a cultural one. We can't, it, it is it is not possible to scale sequentially, and so what you so, so what you'll have to do is you you have to go around the the program the generation of programmers that are no longer flexible and start talking to the seventeen year olds who are on Twitch right now. Are we twitching this? No, no. So 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 I think the the. Our general model of computation. So I did this massively concurrent language. One of the things that that, that um, uh, uh, electric communities did is is that they figured out how to get most of the benefit in with a bunch with islands of sequential programming. And now the general view of what large scale distributed computation looks like is islands of sequential, simple sequential transactional programming in a sea of asynchronous communication. Now, you can make that island a Tylian Lactor, but it turns out people have trouble with that. But, you know, in the nice, you know, in the JavaScript model, you know, it's the event-driven model, right? I've got my UI, event comes in, I figure out how to update the screen, and then I'm done and another event comes in. But while I'm updating the screen, it's kind of simple and sequential, and I understand that. You know, Node.js is, you know, little transactions, you know, and, and that model of potentially lots of concurrent activities, but they're all in isolated state communicating asynchronously with each other. That's a big part of our large scale distributed model. And the nice thing is those might be on different machines. Those might be on different threads on the same machine. You know, they might be on different planets, whatever it is. It's just a matter of latency, how far apart they are. And so the, 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 the thing that we've evolved to in JavaScript is, yep, it's got that simple loop at the top of the world, run something sequentially, and now you're done, but it's embedded in this asynchronous messaging world. I'm so glad so we're we, getting the different planets in here. Absolutely. Again. Just to think about this. Well, we, we used to joke when you were at Xanadu yes. about, about 
d- designing systems for you know light speed where your something was on Mars, and now we're dealing with blockchain where it takes just as long to execute. The fuck? <laughs> Happy, uh, next, I think next meeting in our intelligence operation group will be uh, space property divisions. Uh, so you know, wait, wait until next week. But I just want to say, now you make it out as like you know those are nicely secured islands, but also the composability is a yeah. really big feature. That's right. So I just want to make sure that maybe yeah. it's the final thing before you know we oh, move into a more of a you know, coming to space again is really <laughs> making sure that, you know, we hit that layer of like, how is Agoric building really a future of a multiplicity of blockchains that are interoperable? Yeah. Okay. Go. <laughs> okay. So, so I'll, I'll talk to those are, those are both separate, but they're related. So React.js is a user interface framework that, and, and Vue.js, there's a few others like that, that, that came onto the scene for JavaScript, where suddenly now relatively in its junior programmers could build amazing applications because they could grab components that were built by other people and plug them together. So it's a framework that had strong, that, that, that in the framework addressed several of the pr- hazards and problems people had doing user interfaces before and enabled the plugging together of these components where it had affordances for what to do in a mouse clicks and how to do rendering and how to do styling. And as a result, it got literally exponential adoption of developers and, and literally exponential adoption or, or, or uh, increase in what they could do because the set of components they could plug together kept growing over time, right? Every month, there was another thousand developers produced another thousand components that now I could use using my toolkit to make the next one to the point where there's now more than a million components that people can put together into, into building user interfaces. Wouldn't you even say that's what programming has become? It's no longer about language semantics and, and syntax. It's about class libraries and frameworks. Ah, and but, but it's not about class libraries. It's about components and insist languages like like Solidity, just like languages like C, you can't build components and you can, can compose the same way. And so the language is, you know, the language is important up to the point where it gets you the ability to have components you can put together as sort of independent, isolated entities and plug them together with, with, with powerful and interface. you secretly share with me how much money is already being, or how much commerce is already being moved across change just today. Oh, so, well, so now let's talk about, so, I'll get to that in just a moment here. So that's the component model that the JavaScript has. We do the same thing for smart contracts, where instead of it being about mouse clicks, it's about exchange, it's about digital asset transfer, it's about claiming them, that sort of thing. We also worked with several people in the Cosmos ecosystem to do interchain protocols, where, as Mark said earlier, you know, blockchain is just a machine built out of agreement rather than out of silicon. And all of our models of doing distributed computation with these islands of sequential programming, you know, a blockchain is one of those, is one of those things that can communicate asynchronously with another blockchain or with another machine or with my wallet on my phone or whatever it is. And so those protocols enable all of these, you know, enable wide scale distributed computation across blockchains. The IPC protocol that we came up with, that, that we helped build, and that we, after we were already working on it, we found out months into that that was inspired by the Elang site that, mm-hmm. that, that several people here contributed to and the overall model. But, but it deployed into production in the Cosmos ecosystem in April, I think it is, and a blockchain deployed with it where unlike sort of the month before, now instead of each new blockchain, of which there are several, are deploying as these isolated islands, it was now deploying connected to literally tens of billions of dollars across other different systems. And so $10 million a day of collateral was moving across these IBC channels from other blockchains in order to support the applications that we're running on, in this case, the Osmosis system. 
So there have already been hundreds of billions of dollars transited across these interop protocols now. And it's only been, what, since, you know, since um, uh, April. And that's really just the beginning. So, and archipelago now, so like very similar to how, I guess, you know, much of the web. That's we know stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's one of those things where it's subtle as people are starting, starting to realize it went from, you know, two years ago, interoperability is crazy and composability, what's that? And now everyone tries to claim that they've got the most composability and everything's all connected, right? And they like take interrupt for granted. It's like, everyone's like, oh, my bridge is better than his bridge. And you know, we've already got, you know, a hundred million dollars on, you know, total value locked on chains that we've connected to and, you know, stuff like that. Yes. The, the way I explained it when we were founding Agoric and we were explaining this, the, the phrase that I used is today, every blockchain, and back then it was true, every blockchain is built as if it is supposed to be the only blockchain in the world. Uh, and now, uh, uh, more recent blockchains understand that they're introducing a blockchain into an ecosystem of multiple blockchains, and they're trying to conceive of what they're doing not starting from the premise of, well, what if we unilaterally took over the world? This is really quite related in philosophy to the whole unipolar versus multipolar AI. Do you try to build one single benevolent agent, or do you try to build an ecosystem with a diversity of agents that interact with each other in a loosely coupled and arm's-length relationship? It's actually even one. It's actually even a little stronger than what you just said. Not only are the new blockchains thinking of themselves as connected, so the new blockchains are actually launching connected and leveraging it and 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 and, and using the heck out of it. But even for the old legacy blockchain of Ethereum, right? Pretty much the sentiment is, you know, I mean, a lot of money is moving off of that onto these side chains, onto secondary chains, onto, you know, the, these chains connected with bridges, such that now even on the, the major chains, they don't think of themselves as the solution. They think of themselves as, you know, as a whale in a large connected network. But, but, but pretty much everyone's on board with this, you know, large scale connected world. A whale in a large network. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's see a whale. Uh, okay, unless there's any other hands up, I want to make sure. Okay, yeah. So, do you imagine that you will completely supplant Ethereum, or will Ethereum still exist alongside? Uh, we so so. Um, can we give a, a, a bit of a nuanced answer to that? Blockchain will everything, including We we are designing our system under the assumption that we're going to coexist well with many other systems. Uh, and uh, so we don't need to displace Ethereum in order to be a great success. Um, now, uh, if we do if we do displace Ethereum, I won't be upset. <laughs> but you know, really, right now, you know, blockchain is you know hundreds of billions of dollars, but it's still a you know a small pond, right? So so you know. Ethereum is a big fish in that small pond, but mainstream use cases are much, much, much larger. Yeah. And so, you know, we, you know, we, we, we don't need to displace Ethereum to be bigger than it. We don't need to be bigger than it to be successful. Um, I don't believe for an instant Ethereum is going to go away anytime soon and it might evolve and change to, you know, to accommodate the times. I mean, there's a lot of really smart people involved in that. So, so, you know, it, it'll be, I think it'll be around for quite a while. Yeah. Also, open source software is free to recombine ideas. Uh, there's much less of a barrier against recombination of ideas as these things all grow. Uh, but the point about the world that's not blockchain is so much bigger. I don't want to stress that, which is we shouldn't be 
trying to, you know, it's not like Ethereum and, and us are competing for the audience of people already into, blog, into blockchain. Obviously, there's some of that. But the main thing is uh, that we're competing to absorb the part of the rest of the world that's not in blockchain yet. Which is a million X larger. Right. Yeah, if you think that the vast majority of transactions crossing blockchains are all payments, essentially. But that's such a tiny sliver of, of what you, one, one, one tiny example, right? Imagine you had a music sharing service with 100 artists, each of which has a million followers and not too much overlap in those followers, right? So that's 100 million people. Now, let's say very conservatively, they listen to 10 songs a month. So that's very conservatively a billion transactions on that chain, right? So, and, and that's one example. And, 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 and by the way, um, ah, that's orders of magnitude larger than what you see combined on Ethereum and Bitcoin. Yeah. If we could just get chain of custody for freight uh, onto a blockchain, uh, you know, decentralized distributed chain of custody would increase the global GDP by by five percent. I mean, it's just it's insane. I, yeah. I guess it's like you know, uh, getting back to the book, it's like competition in one area is also cooperation. You know, for actually unlocking much much larger areas. Right. Um, okay, maybe as final question is, if people are excited about it, what could they do to plug in more? Like. What's like a concrete, as we did with Peter, what's a concrete action item before we gave you probably lots of like things to nibble on as you ice create your way through the final conversations with each other. Okay. But, uh, we are headed towards mainnet. We're looking for developers to build stuff. So if you're a JavaScript developer, which if you're a developer, you're probably a JavaScript developer. Um, then, you know, come build your application using, using the framework, using, using the platform and be ready to launch when we do. That's one way. Yeah. And mention the testnet. Uh, oh yeah, we, well, we've had a long-running testnet that's been up and running and, and stable, and it's now connected with IBC to other people's testnets, and we're pretty central to a larger ecosystem of of people doing decentralized computation. So there's there's a lot to leverage for, from that platform. Um, the other way is, of course, stay involved with Foresight. Um, one of the things that you know we we have a token. We've got you know it, it we'll have a, a chain that's launching with that token, and and. And we expect to donate some of that token to Foresight, so they have a reason to keep paying attention to us. So. We have a record. <laughs> so um, uh, you know, so we'll get we'll, we'll so there will be more initiatives happening out of happening out of this combined group to help make interesting stuff happen on 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 you know Agoric specifically and blockchains in general. Thank you. Anyone? Yeah. Chime in publicly. You have to find a word, Chris. Go for it. What, what should I be building? Uh, do you have like requests for propo for proposals, or do you have like uh, do you see what what people are gonna have ready for mainnet? Like how many developers are are building? Like if that is boring for a broader audience, I'm just like generally curious how this part of adoption right. is going and like what are things there. So we're just starting the developer programs. We have bounty programs, so which are you know specific things that we want someone to go build on Gitcoin, right? Uh, yes, the bounties are on Gitcoin, or you can get to them from our site. Um, but in general, those are if someone has an idea that they really want to pursue, we're, you know, we're interested in helping uh, in helping them pursue that. The thing that's sort of most interesting is something where the ability to rapidly evolve as you actually get into market and realize, oh, some of our customers want it to be a little bit different. So the fact that it's in JavaScript means I can quickly do that and deploy that. The fact that it's composition 
acquisition means I can reuse components and it's safe to rapidly put something out, whereas in Solidity, you should justifiably be terrified, right? And so applications like that are, are, are ones that will really leverage the platform. But, but, you know, so people are working on decentralized finance. People are working on NFT stuff. People are working on insurance, you know, par- parametric insurance. Um, so, you know, the answer is sort of, to me, as a, you know, coming from a development background, it's a lot more, I'm a lot more interested in what do you, what, what will be passionate to you that you'll really sink your teeth into and carry forward out to, out, out to uh, a real business? Which, which part of the real world markets can you satisfy with the new technology? Yes. Which part of the real world markets can you satisfy with this new technology? And then I just want to double check, uh, Ketzels, who is a Fossil Fellow and also at Agoric, gave a fantastic talk on NFTs for property rights engineering. Really, <laughs> uh, really mind boggling. And so I guess just as one of the example things of how you could be reimagining uh, stuff. Yep. Uh, okay. Any final words to the whole crowd before we disperse again into uh, our decentralized little pods? Um, okay, then that was our final. I, 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 yes. I wanna, so um, a lot of what we've been discussing is sort of incremental steps from the current world. So I want to I just open it up to where, to where this is going beyond these incremental steps. Um, the... There have been throughout human history all sorts of people who've had ideas about, oh, if only society worked this other kind of way, or if only we could have a community that operated by these rules or or an organization of some sort. There have been all sorts of ideas, fantasies people have had about governance, and usually they're wrong. They will continue to usually be wrong because that's just the way experiments like this go. Um, uh, But historically... Big governance experiments that went wrong were very, very expensive. Uh, in the 20th century, hundreds of millions of lives were lost in these experiments. Um, uh, we now have a voluntary medi- medium in which we can create governance arrangements that people can join voluntarily and people can exit voluntarily, uh, in which it's flexible and lightweight and has the unambiguity of program code. So Agoric, Chris Hibbert at Agoric, just ju- just now uh, completed the, the the initial governance framework that we've got. He came up, uh, he and Kate came up with this very nice, elegant sort of um, division of the overall problem of governance systems into sort of three independent dimensions that composed. It's really quite nice. So I think that if People, I think we, not just Agoric, I think in general with blockchain, but, but Agoric, I, I, I certainly welcome this, is we have this opportunity to experiment with governance arrangements. Most of these will go wrong. Uh, people will lose some money when these things go wrong, uh, but these are experiments we can afford. And a few real innovations in governance of society that comes out of this rich experimentation can make all of our lives incredibly better. That's a very high leverage form of innovation. Okay, you're here. So uh, let's see what we'll, uh, what you guys come up with. Uh, super, super excited to see it. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, oh, Andrew, yes. Is there a 30 second to 60 second statement of the Agoric governance structure? If not, it's fine. Of the Agoric's governance structure? Yeah. Um, the uh, Chris, would you? Yeah, I put you on the spot. So the the basic design is that um, there's um, a piece that I used to call a registrar that I'm being encouraged to call electrodes instead, which is uh, one one software API 
that's about defining who has the ability to vote. Uh, and uh, our initial versions of that include one that's uh, a committee, so some number of people have the right to vote, and it's visible who they are, and you can uh, talk to the electorate to find out what questions they're voting on and what will happen as a result of that. Another one is people who own stakes in uh, some token. Uh, anyone who has one of those, some share of that, can vote, and they can vote by the weight that, that they care. Um, orthogonal to that is, a, is a, uh, a collection of different kinds of vote counters. The first one that I built just does binary uh, questions. So, you know, yes, no questions, or shall we meet uh, at 10 or 11? But the, the same architecture divides these two and makes it possible for uh, another kind of vote to, to uh, be electing a committee uh, or um, uh, choosing uh, how much to raise a parameter by uh, uh, in, a, in a general way. Or we can elect a parliament so multiple people have uh, the ability to vote multiple times. So the, the division into electorates and vote counters, uh, I think, makes a lot of things really clear. And we have a quick summary. Yeah, the, the particular thing of, of all, all the, the pieces that, that Chris went through is it's back to that composability point of view. It's it's composability of governance pieces. And that was one of the insights that, that, that you know, Kate and, and, and Chris and I, and when we've talked about all, all of that, that really led to, you know, what's our governance going to be? Well, you know, the governance is going to be a governance that will let us change our mind about that and so we can do some experiments. <laughs> Did this conversation pique your interest? Maybe it even inspired a bit of existential hope about the future in you. Search for Fawcett Institute on YouTube or Twitter to stay up to date or visit Fawcett.org to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and join our efforts. We are entirely funded by your donations. So please support us if you like what we do. Thank you so much for listening.